Hey guys, long time no speak. Um, for, for those who are long-term listeners, it's been a uh, pretty crazy 18 months, uh, especially these last few months. Um, this is a long episode. Uh, at the moment, it's about an hour, hour and a half, hour and 40. I can't quite remember. I've, I've gone all the way to the other end of the, uh, the tracking here. But um, what we do is I talk you through climbing Kazbek, and we chat with three of the other guys on the trip, Matt, Andy, and Mark. Uh, with Matt, we uh, we ended up just recording a little piece after what ended up being a bro date to the to the sulfur baths and then to this wonderful restaurant, which I'll try and find the name of and put in the description. I can't recommend them enough. Um, and so you can sort of hear some nice soft jazz in the background. With Andy, I actually uh, hiked through Tbilisi to his hotel just before going to the airport on the Sunday to chat with him about his views. And then with Mark, uh, we met up over Zoom. He's in Cyprus doing some training. And... Um, yeah, it was fantastic sitting with the guys uh, and great to bounce off what their views were and their thoughts and opinions are. So I really hope you enjoy this type of episode. I've not really chopped and changed like this before, but um, it's a long one. So whether you listen to it in parts, or listen to it all the way, I hope you enjoy it and let me know what you think. Hello and welcome to Between the Mountains Adventure Podcast. This episode is sponsored by Valen Eyewear. So it's been, a well, uh, tomorrow when the episode goes live, it will be a month since I set off for Tbilisi, Georgia to go and climb Mount Kazbek, my first big mountain. And honestly, it was just incredible. One of the best moments of my life. And, you know, um, definitely, definitely the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, if not mentally, although it was definitely up there, top two or three, then definitely physically for me. Um, it, what, you know, an incredible day. Uh, blessed with the weather, the guides were fantastic, the people on the trip were incredible, and we are going to get into that. In fact, uh, three people, Andy, Matt, and Mark, have, um, you know, I've recorded a few questions with them to get their views and opinions, so um, throughout the episode we're going to be sort of jumping, chopping, <laughs> dodge, duck, dip, dive, and dodging uh, between um, myself and those three, uh, finding out their views too, so it's not just my voice that's going to be rambling along, you'll be glad to know. So, I wanted to briefly just go over uh, the sponsorship, Valen Eyewear. They extremely kindly just gifted me some of the Heron Glacier glasses. Um, you know, for, for long-time listeners, you'll remember last year that we had the Heron uh, Mountain ones gifted to us. And honestly, they're incredible. The styling, the uh, the fits, the flexi arms, uh, the blinders on the side, uh, I think they look incredible. I think they're wonderfully priced. And they did an amazing trick. It's a really weird thing to discuss, but you know, you're already dealing with altitude and you know the potential headaches, hydrating, keeping on top of all your admin. Having the sunglasses, especially for someone like me, who's uh, sounds silly, but my eyes are sensitive to sunlight, to have them on and just not be squinting or struggling or like like someone says a look at something, I don't have to like sort of adjust my eyes. Just to wear them and fluidly move through my day was fantastic. They, I think they look great, they're so useful, they do an incredible job, so definitely go and have a look. One of the guys on the trip already had a pair, which is kind of cool to see, and another guy picked up some from the shop with a similar styling, so, it, you know, yeah. <laughs> One more can I say. Thank you so much, Valen. You did me a huge favour there, they were incredible, and um, go and check them out, I'll put their link in the description. Let's get into the trip. So the overview, this is a serious feat, you know, and we are, we were blessed with the weather. And even at that point, you need to take the kit very seriously. You know, like, 
we were told the whole way, we're so lucky with the weather. You know, I was staring up at Kaz Becker um, at the Alti Hut and, and the worker came out and um, sort of had a chat with me. He said, it's beautiful. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I was like, do you ever get bored of seeing it? And he went, nope, it's usually uh, surrounded in mist. So it's nice to see it. <laughs> so, you know, so lucky with the weather. But even then, as you'll find out a bit later on, a wind chill kept in, uh, came in out of nowhere and just completely knocks you out. And um, since then, I've been chatting to the guides on uh, on Instagram, uh, the, the lead guy, Becca, who is incredible. And he said that they recently did an attempt uh, this week and they turned around because it got to minus 20 degrees and it was just too cold. It was cutting through the, the gear, cutting through the B3 boots um, and they had, to, they had to turn around. Um, but we'll get on to that a little bit later. You know, the day one, you're, you're arriving at the, uh, at the at the center. Um, it's important to say at this point, I use the website called Much Better Adventures, um, which then hooked you up with the company, and they they use their own uh, their their guides. They they hire in some guides, which is Becker and, and and his crew. And you know, day one, you're turning up, and you are getting your kit squared away, making sure you've got everything right. At this point, please double check your kit because you'll find out later. Mark ended up with two left crampons which meant that the summer day and the descent was a little bit tough for him. Um, you know, having a, a crab on flopping around, essentially. But you get your briefing, you get the kit um, all squared away, and then pretty quickly, you, you know, you're jumping into the van and, and, um, and heading up to Steppensminder. And I've got to say, at this point, I thought the people I'd be on the trip with would just be, you know, in it for themselves, pleasant enough, make some polite conversation, maybe the old person you don't get on with, and, and, and that would be it. But actually, and I don't know if this is normal of these trips, but we were blessed. The, the people we had was uh, they're just, they're just stunning people, all of them. You know, we had a variety. Uh, we had um, uh, sort of a, a husband and wife uh, from Dubai on there as well, and and they had as well the two of their other friends, uh, one who lives in London, works in Dubai, and another guy who works in um, lives in Dubai. They were there. Um, we had a guy from from the Midlands in the UK, guy from the north of the UK. Um, uh, from the east, uh, you know, me and um, uh, me, me out in the southwest. So a really diverse set of backgrounds, diverse set of jobs, um, and diverse set of people. Uh, it was truly incredible and such a pleasure to be able to to go with them. Um, something to mention about day one is that I I turned up a day early, and uh, what I learned about Tbilisi very quickly is that the, the, Tbilisi goes to bed very late and they wake up very late. Um, you know, I arrived at my uh, my hotel at about five in the morning, and there were still people talking out loud, quite loudly, out on the street, um, and people arriving, being quite loud on the way back in um, at about five thirty. So, you know, if I was asleep, I would have slept through it. But, um, but you know, it's there. And then on my last night after the trip, when I was spent my last night before flying home into BC, again, you know, I'm just getting ready in the in the in the hotel room to to figure out what I'm going to do that night, and um, and you can just hear, you know, loud music coming through the window outside. Um, and on the flip side, when you, if you're booking a hotel that says, uh, breakfast included, just bear in mind the timings on that, because I had to leave at eight o'clock to, to get to, well, I, I ended up leaving at seven thirty to do the half hour walk to the center for eight, because they say to meet there at eight thirty. Um, and in the UK, that would have been fine. Your breakfast would have started about six thirty, probably, you know, when I hiked Trolltunga, um, it was the same thing in Norway, breakfast nice and early. Uh, but in this case, um, uh, breakfast, I think, started at eight, um, and as far as I could tell, that was early. Other places I, um, well, I looked at while we were there, well, breakfast started at nine. 
So, um, yeah, definitely something to consider if you're looking at a breakfast included option on, on a hotel. Is figure, figure out and ask when is your breakfast included, because it might be you could find a better hotel um, a bit closer to if you're not even going to make breakfast. What we're going to do now is we're going to cut to uh, to Matt, then Andy, then Mark, and find out their initial, uh, you know, their thoughts on the trip. And uh, and like I said, you know, that they're, they're they've they've done the trip. So if you look if you look if you want to avoid spoilers on Kazbek then uh, maybe don't listen on after you've clicked an episode called Climbing Mount Kazbek. But um, I'll just I'll just segue between the three of them. Really interesting people. You know, Matt, Matt's got fantastic climbing experience, hiking experience, and, uh, and unfortunately the altitude just kind of knocked him for two. We've got Andy, who, again, really good climbing and, and hiking experience, and he just got on fantastically well at the altitude. And then we've got Mark, who is a very strong guy, um, does, uh, does triathlons, and he's got a he's got an enthusiastic view on on the trip as well. So let's just cut to those three now, and and hear what they think. Yeah. So we are what, uh, three days after the summit push. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you feeling about the whole trip? Wow, the whole trip. Um, quite difficult to condense that, really, isn't it? Mm. It feels like firstly, it feels like I've been away for at least a month. <laughs> yet it's been seven days, six or seven days. Um, I feel I feel pretty good about the trip. Physically, I feel really exhausted <laughs> and ready for my home comforts now. I think, but um, it's been a trip that has surpassed expectations, um, has not met some expectations in a way that actually has been really pleasant. Mm. Um, yeah, it's been full of surprises. I feel overall I feel really really chuffed with it. Yeah, perfect. Andy, yeah, you, you, you were saying, your thoughts on the trip? Yeah, so I think, so I think for me, and I think for a lot of people on this trip, it's clearly been like a real sort of game-changing trip. Um, I've done some of this stuff before, but only like in Scotland, like bits of ice climbing and stuff. And we talked about like me, I've been non-stop talking about going on Ben Nevis for three days in yeah. December. Everyone's got their thing that they like to talk about, whether it's Tube Cow or somewhere else, yeah. like non-stop. Yeah. But I, um, I, like this is like, for me, it was a big test to see if I could do altitude, mm. um, and I was worried that I couldn't because like, the only time I've been at altitude was in the Paz like 11 years ago, and I was a lot less healthy then. But I remember like walking uphill in the Paz, eating a miles by, having stopped for 15 minutes to try and like, catch my breath. And <laughs> I've always wanted to do lots of mountaineering stuff and like explore like that whole the whole world of it. But if you can't do altitude, it's kind of like a no go. Um, but for me, what has happened or what seems to have worked out is that altitude doesn't really seem to affect me or hasn't on this trip anyway and I know it's a bit of a gamble and next time it might but I think probably you and I out of everybody as far as I could tell were at least affected by altitude yeah Mark it's been a couple of weeks since we've been back from Kazbek maybe three weeks how are you feeling I feel great I think I've left a couple of bits of my brain and my body up there so uh, might need to go back to find it at some point but no feeling good mate great to, to talk to you and see you again yeah, perfect. Yeah, same, same back to you. Um, I, I think one of the first things I wanted to cover, which is probably, you know, one of the first things on people's mind when they think about climbing a five thousand meter uh, peak. You know, how was the acclimatization pro- process for you? I mean, the acclimatization process, like as you know, it was the first time for me that uh, having to go through any type of acclimatization process. So I never really understood why it was important and what it actually meant. Um, but I think it actually probably saved us. Uh, on the summit day 
because I've heard when we were doing all the introductions at the beginning, the guy James from uh, Much Better Adventures or from M Plus was telling us about how people sometimes do the summit in in a day or two. Um, I reckon if we did that, there was no way we'd be able to do that because even though we acclim- we, we were acclimatizing, you know, we still felt the effect of it. I mean, I, I had a really terrible headache on on the second and third and fourth day. Uh, you know, your breathing is extremely labored. If my headache was any worse, I think I would have really struggled to make it all the way up to the summit. So I think um, the the fact that we did two acclimat- acclimatization hikes probably saved us. Um, so I'm really glad that we did it. And it only makes you think when the summits are even higher, 6,000, 7,000, you know, how important acclimatization actually is. Um, because if you don't do it, you know, you're, you're, you're going to struggle. You're just not going to make it. And plus, you know, I really understand altitude sickness too well until I actually started researching it back when we came back from Kazbek, you know, really about how serious it can get. And thank God we did all those hikes because, uh, you know, those symptoms are pretty nasty. Yeah. I felt like it was pretty good as well to, to, to push yourself. And I, I don't know, after you do one day's hiking, you typically sort of think, Oh, I'm knackered. I want to set at home. But I think that was, for me, there was something about knowing there was more to come. I didn't ever settle into that. We're done phase. 100%. So it was almost like, you know, when you go on a run, you like at, at certain points, depending on how well trained you are, you hit that sort of lactic acid barrier. I felt like the acclimatization stuff kind of rinsed us through those first few hikes so that it was just it was just hiking after that. But I, th- I think what was mental was the first time you reach 4000 meters, you continue right through that and break 5000. It's very difficult to explain to people what it's like to to you know be in in a in an environment where there's between 10 to 15% oxygen when normally it's between 20 and 25 at sea level. You know, it's really really rough. It feels like someone is standing on your chest and you're trying to take a deep breath and you can't and you know you get into the rhythm of breathing and as soon as you lose that rhythm for whatever reason you lose concentration you're literally gasping for air for you know five to ten seconds trying to get back into that rhythm again so it's very difficult to explain to people so we're in the van we're on the way to stepford's window the views are just getting more and more beautiful the whole way you know we are when you stop for lunch that really is uh, you know incredible you're surrounded by these huge hills um and obviously the lunch is lunch is included at that, included at that point god if i can't talk now that's not a good sign is it <laughs> um yeah it's included at that point and it's you know, absolutely lovely and after a bit more driving and some dodgy roads with some big steep drop-offs you finally make it towards Stephens Minder. and i'll be honest with you you can see kazbek right from Stephens Minder. and i'll be honest part of me was a bit disappointed i guess i guess i was looking for a a wild and remote location you know you had to hike out into the wild before you even got sight of what you could see but i'd say if you're the type of person looking for that too then in, in the words of mark in a conversation that we had um uh but a, a while back it was almost as if you know the closer you got to kazbek the further away it actually felt it was you know even you know, even down to 4,500 meters, you know, you've just ended Russia around the back of the mountain, you're on a glacier. It just, it feels further away than I did at Stepansminder looking at the top. So, so yeah, and also Stepansminder, beautiful town as well. But you head up towards the, um, is it the Gagetti Trinity Church, I think? Um, and that's something that is, uh, Georgians have nailed, you know, religious or not, anyone can appreciate where they place their churches because they've got some stunning views um just some gorgeous drop-offs so 
so yeah i really appreciated the architecture and the location of that and you get into a tiny dacia like like sort of looking mitsubishi thing <laughs> oh no it doesn't look like it's capable of anything off-road and you take this road up to the starting point um the gagetti trinity church and and it is it's you know people pay for off-roading experiences like that you know we were we were crossing rivers like, you know like no, not, nothing like you see in the pakistan sort of um footage of people heading up towards k2 base camp and that but you know you're heading over these like sort of small rivers and streams just leaning like so far left and right listing and turning these tight corners on it was it's really fun and um and then you you get out you park up and you start at 2170 meters if i remember correctly um you know i i i've i've gotten a ski lift to 2200 before and then immediately skied down i've um you know I, in my first road trip i did really you know my episode 1 um you know i went to the furka pass which i believe is around 2500 meters so essentially what i'm doing here is i'm starting my start point of climbing Kazbek is higher than I've ever hiked already, <laughs> which I found kind of epic. And you immediately start this steep, steep hike all the way up to the Alti Hut, which is, um, they say is at 3,014 meters. And to put it into perspective, you know, for those in the UK, at least your first day, you essentially cut climb Penavan, the height of Penavan over, I think a shorter distance. And that's day one. You can't let yourself think, oh, that was a great day, wasn't it? Let me go rest for a week. And um, I very quickly learned that the way I'm going to deal with it is just look down. I found every time I looked up to see how far we had left, my legs just wanted to, just to scream at me to sit down. Um, so, you know, I just had my head down, thoughts elsewhere. At one point on day two, I had some headphones in as well. Um, and, and yeah, head down, look in front. Make polite conversation if you want to. And, you know, the guides are brilliant at really pushing you and then finding the right time to give you a break. So, uh, so yeah, uh, what an incredible first day. And there's not too much to say about it, especially when we're going to be diving into, you know, the top of a 5,000-meter mountain. But, yeah, with with your big pack on the back, weighing about 16 kilograms in my case, it, it was cracking day, <laughs> cracking day. And you get to the Alti Hut and, the you know, the views are incredible. You know, the Alti Hut is like a... Uh, um, it's almost like if you've been skiing in in, in Austria or, or Italy or Germany, it's it's like a chalet, like um, would you call it a chalet? Um, you know, it, it's it's gorgeous. The whole thing's made of wood, basically. Um, it's you know, smooth down wood. The decking is incredible. The views are stunning. You can see the glacier right there, and the food is incredible too. You know, like the, the dishes they produce, although you know, repetitive after a few days. Um, there were basically just different variants of soup and then a rice dish, but that's what you need there. And they still made it taste incredible. So, massive respect to Altiha. Um, and to be honest with you, the only other th only other comment to make really is that being at three thousand meters at this point, I noticed uh, on my on my Apple Watch, my heart rate was continuously up all the time, just trying to pump <laughs> pump blood around. And um, it did make it a bit of a challenge getting to sleep, uh, and more of a challenge for other people. But uh, you know, you know, at this point. Yeah, I've done 125 episodes of the podcast. Uh, many of them have been to altitude, and you, you, you're thinking, I've done research on all the guests. I've then had a podcast uh, with the guest, and then you know anything from 15 minutes to an hour conversation at either side of the the recording. Um, so I've managed to get some good tips, and really, you know, move slowly, 
hydrate a lot and rest well and, and you'll deal well with the altitude and so I instantly just started deploying those tactics and for me personally it paid off really well I didn't actually get any altitude sickness and the one time I thought it was in the summit push I was actually just hungry <laughs> so there's that but yeah that's the end of day one you're in Alti Hut you're in a, a big room full of bunk beds sharing the whole room with everyone else and uh what a day into day two really it's just an acclimatization hike and the uh there's not too much to say on it um you moved from the 3014 meters at the alti hut you move all the way up to uh 3600 meters at the top of this ridge line and for a while you lose the view of kazbek um and then and then you get to see it again at the top and to be honest there's not there's not really much else to say you know it's just you know make make nice conversation with the people get just just get your head down work your way through it um as the as the guide said you know the way that you're going to deal with the altitude isn't by just traveling you know getting getting a helicopter or a horse to to, to the altitude you have to work your way through the meters to to get to that point so yeah a beautiful day you know one of my favorite moments was just sitting having a rest at one point just horribly out of breath for no reason at all really and um and just uh, watching these these butterflies just jumping from wildflower to wildflower and uh yeah it was a really gorgeous day got to the top and you don't see russia from that point but you can see right over the range the caucasus um over towards what's uh what's being called by the you know by by the russians south of sesha um which is a bit like from what i understand from the from from the guides there it's a bit like a crimea deal you know that russia's basically just moved down and said this is ours um which is reflected in Tbilisi's culture, actually. You know, uh, a, a club stand, uh, a club stamp that we all went to on the um, the Friday night, um, is in Georgian says um, "Rush uh, Putin is is a and, and then a bad word," um, and you know, there's a lot of graffiti everywhere saying um, you know "F Putin." Um, so yeah, their their hardship and their struggle is reflected in Tbilisi's you know graffiti and 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 who they are and the things they say and I think they really feel a lot for Ukraine at the moment. But yeah, climatization. You see all these beautiful views at the top. See right over the mountain ranges. Um, and at this point, if you're at that point thinking back to this episode, I guarantee you the views get better. And it might be hard to believe at that point, but they do. And uh, that's about it. You spend a bit of time up there, have a nice relaxing moment, and then you head back down. And then you get lunch at about about 2, 3 p.m. Um, at the back of the Alti Hut. And again, gorgeous food. And then your time's your own. Um, at this point, um, I'll probably make John Gupta happy here. Um, but um, for me, it was all about admin. Uh, I didn't let myself rest, really, uh, until it was done. Made sure that the, the bag I needed for the next day was squared away. Everything was folded up. Everything I needed was sorted. Uh, and then once I'd gotten my bag ready, I would grab my wash bag and I'd head down to the toilets there. And I would instantly just, you know, festival wash myself. That's what myself and my friend call it. You know, getting the wet wipes into your armpits and, you know, um, and then a separate wet wipe for your face. Um, and then, uh, you know, just moving through, keeping keeping your hygiene as best you can, um, keeping your admin sorted. And the best bit is once it's done, it's done. You can just relax and just enjoy your night. And that's day two. You know, it's probably worth mentioning at the end of day two. You, at this point, some of the group were um, they weren't slacking. You know, we had we had at this point we could tell the members who are who are some of the strongest members, and then the members um, in the middle, and the members who were quite slow. And um, nothing against those people, but what was the issue was the the lack of timekeeping. And so we did have a word when we, when we got our briefing for the next day, moving up to the meteo station. Um, you know, before the next day, sorry. 
uh, they did say, you know, David was backing the lead guide backer up by saying, if we ask you to be somewhere by a certain time, please be there, please be ready and listen. It's really, really important that we stick to these timings, we stick to the plan. And my only advice to you, you know, is um, is just do what they say. You know, if they say to be there at a certain time, be there at a certain time. They can choose to be late. Sure, you know, if they're running behind or, or they have some final bits to sort out and it's five past eight or ten past eight and they said be ready at eight, that's fine. But you make sure that you are ready at the time they asked and then at least you're good to go when, when the time comes. Day three, moving up to Meteo Station, uh, is is a, is a fantastic day. Um, so following that briefing, we were all ready, all sorted, good to go. I've got some beautiful shots of us all just getting ready, and you know that there was a there was a you know we all personally chose to do some final kit checks on the morning of. You know, you'd wake up, have the breakfast, have the coffee. Um, you know, some of us are journaling, so if you didn't do that the night before, we were doing it in the morning, and then you you get your stuff ready and, and we move off. And what was incredible was we stopped at the bottom of the glacier. And for me, this is the closest I've ever been to a glacier. And I'm about to walk on one for the first time. And this really was was a fantastic point of showing where the guides were um, both incredibly professional and their attention to detail mixed with their sensitivity for your skill level just really shone through in a really subtle way. In, in, and that was just seen in Becca individually going to each person and just teaching them how to put crampons on. And he didn't do it like a group thing and expect you to remember and then be a bit annoyed if you asked for help. You know, I was getting myself sorted out with, with um something else I can't remember while he was next to me helping, I think, Dave. Um, and the moment he finished, he just restarted his whole lecture towards me and like, he started teaching me how to put crampons on. He didn't expect me to have been listening and remembering, you know, anything he said, which I was trying to do. So yeah, incredible guys teaching you how to do that. Uh, I got very excited and got a lovely photo of me pointing to crampons because although I've worn spikes, I've never worn crampons before, so that was exciting. And we also had this little uh, husky come along um, and, and just say hello to us. And you know, like we got, I got some great photos of Andy um, stroking the husky and just the husky good modelling shots with Kazbek in the background, which I'll put on. But um, I put on my Instagram. But then the horses went by carrying all the all the kit up to Meteo Station and the dog just joined them and just went on the glacier and started walking up. So uh, that was incredible to see. Um, I'm moving on the glacier at this point and you know they said they said quite confidently there aren't really any crevasses down this down this low. Um, and sure there was, you know, when we when we got to the point where we stopped, you know, the water was flowing quite incredibly, then just down at this deep, dark black hole. Um but but yeah, generally speaking, it's quite straightforward. Just just move up the glacier, move in a single line, just follow the guides in front, and um, yeah, it just felt epic. <laughs> and, uh, and then you get to the end of the glacier, and 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 just a full disclosure for you: this is where the dust begins. You know, there's no more grass now, and if you're not on the ice or the snow, it's just dusty as hell. Um, so you're moving up um, again. You've got to follow the instructions. Dachi uh, um, was leading the way at this point. And he said, you know, that there was a section where we had to leave a three meter gap just because, you know, it was a snow bridge on on a section of the a section of the glacier that was just coming through. Um, so make sure you're listening to the instructions there and following the same footsteps and the same plan, you know, path that the that the guide took. And then yeah, you get to Meteo Station and uh, anything except the food and the staff, anything you experience at the Alti Hut, just flip it in reverse. <laughs> Um, Mark will go into it into some detail as well in in his version of events, but you know it's a it's a very rudimental building. The toilets. If you've been to Glastonbury, you know on on the Sunday, 
then you know i think it'd be a little bit more desensitized or if you just got a kid maybe i don't know but the toilets are basically just a shack with a hole where you do your business onto the side of the mountain um the water although the guide said it's fine and they've been okay it's not ideal and um i carried I chose to fill up everything I had with the water down at the Aldi hut, and um, uh, the guys were joking about it on the on the way, um, saying that I was basically carrying up a whole reservoir with me. <laughs> um, so uh, my pack was extra heavy crossing the glacier, just because I didn't want to have any any of the water from the snow, basically. And um, you know, it's not you know high altitude Himalayan clean water. You know, it was quite. Um, I suppose the best way to put it was sedimenty. So definitely think about taking some water purifier tablets or some extra money because they do sell bottles of water there, but uh, it's um it's quite expensive. Um, even you know even for Georgian the cost. So uh so yeah that's uh, that's the meteor station and, and the room we are in. Uh, <laughs> um, that married couple I mentioned earlier they got their own private room and and, and you know so they should. Um, so that that left just ten blokes, <laughs> ten blokes on. Just one wide bunk bed with plastic mattress. Um, you know, it's soft inside, but just plastic covered mattress. And what we ended up having a bit later on, uh, which Mark goes into detail on, is uh, is just six blokes in the bottom, four on the top, just trying to sleep with these Georgians next to us on these walls, you know, smoking away and, uh, and just celebrating the fact they had a, um, a successful summit that day. Oh, oh man. The views were incredible of just the whole glacier running down. You could see Aldi Hut in the distance. But yeah, Meteor Station is very rudimental. And um, and don't expect any any luxuries other than the staff's attitude and kindness and the food there. But yeah, we um, after after Meteor Station, uh, you know, the wide bed, the loo's just a hole, the views of the glacier. Um, the dog obviously met us and greeted us when we got to the top as well. Um, you know, we... Um, we just very quickly hopped out and we did a quick Betlemi um, acclimatization hike to Betlemi Church. Um, and they do have a medical tent there as well, just before we go into that. They do have a medical tent there. And Peggy uh, on the trip was starting to feel a little bit rough at this point. Um, so it's fantastic to have them on hand because he, he just popped in. Um, they did a quick little check on him. And to be honest with you, even though he felt rough as hell, he still did the acclimatization hike and just pushed through. Um, so, yeah mental gonads on that guy um but yeah the the, the climatization hike is quite short and sweet uh it takes you to from the 3650 meters of meteor station it takes you to 3900 meters um and the church really is just a it's just a a curved shed a metal shed but uh you just walk nice and quickly up this uh ridge line and you're just greeted again with these incredible views kazbek behind you the closest you've been to it, but the furthest away it's ever looked. And um, and again, this husky just came up and greeted us at the top, said hello, and uh, we gave him a little uh, little pet. And um, and I got some cracking shots again of 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 this dog just lying on the ridge line. And then we come down. But actually, to be honest, at this point it would be a good time to cut away to to Andy because he's got his um he dealt with the altitude incredibly well, and he talks about this hike briefly as well and that too. So. Let's go and hear from Andy uh, with, with his views on, on how he dealt with the altitude. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's funny thing is I know that I'm strong, hiking strong, but my legs are strong. I've done, just a few months ago, I did a four day hike on the southwest coastal path, right? It was like 17, 18 miles a day with heavy bags, tents and hot weather. And it's very up and down, like 
a hiking fit from that perspective. So I wasn't struggling from my legs mm. or any any of that perspective. What I kept finding was because we did climatize what three thousand nine hundred meters. Yeah, we um we did three six fifty when we were at Alta, and then we did three nine hundred. Yeah, um, when we went to Meteor Station. That's yeah. it. And I put in climatization in my converted commas because you climb up, you stay there for fifteen minutes, you come down. I'm yeah. sure it, it does something, but it's not like I assume. It's, it's not ever stay at camp two, is exactly, it? Exactly. Right? <laughs> so I, I kept thinking to myself in the morning, you know, three four a.m. when we were hiking through the moraines, that I was going to hit an altitude where it just kicked me in the ass. Well, I just found it. And to be fair, I do remember thinking, we got to 3,900, uh, I don't know, maybe 4.30 a.m. or something like that. And look, looking at my Garmin and being like, we're now at like 4,000. And I started to feel a bit more out of breath. And I was like, this is noticeable, a 100 meter difference that I haven't been to before I can notice it. Mm. But it, for me, the whole time, every time I was out of breath, I just stopped for like, you know, I just regained my rhythm of breathing. And it only took a few seconds and I was kind of flying and a few deep breaths and I was okay. And I never found at any moment from that point to the summit that I was any more out of breath than I have been in any workout or run before. Mm. Um, I, I noticed the altitude, obviously, but I could regain it quite quickly. And I think I kept thinking the whole way up, there's going to be an altitude that's going to just kick me. Yeah. So at 4,200, 4,500 when we were you know, on the glacier and then the wind, the horrible biting wind, I always kept thinking as soon as I go around this corner and I get to 4,700 or whatever, that's, that's going to be it. By the time we got to, I guess, the shoulder or below the shoulder, 4,000, maybe 750, 800, maybe even 4,900, that's when I realised I'm, I'm going to make this and it's not going to be too hard. So I remember I was standing on the shoulder in the wind, looking up at the summit yeah. and the summit push, which I guess is maybe 100 metres of altitude gain. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Um, thinking... That was my elation point because I was like, I've, I've got this in the back. Yeah. So when we were climbing up, I actually remember thinking, and this is very arrogant, I didn't want to say any of this you know, to anyone, but like, we're going too slowly. I want to just get up because yeah. burning through energy, I kind of feel fine, but like, I remember, you know, Mark in front struggling with his crampon and mm. being quite slow because of it and wanting to just get to the top. And when we got to the top, I don't remember that having any kind of elation feeling because I think I've already had it. I was like, oh, I've got this in the bag. Yeah. You know, 45 minutes earlier. Yeah. Um, but it was great getting to the top, obviously. Um, and then coming down, that's when my body just gave up. <laughs> <laughs> and we will actually get to uh, Andy's um, uh, chat about the descent a little bit later after after we chat about the summit. Um, I was going to say briefly then. It's not going to be brief. <laughs> Heads up. Um but uh, but yeah, Andy um goes into detail about that descent uh, in a little bit of time. Um, but yeah, he, he dealt with the altitude incredibly well, and it was just a it's a perfect example of how you know do everything right, you know look after your body, try and rest well. But equally, you know sometimes it's just luck of the draw. Um, and so yeah, f- fantastic that he dealt with it so well. Getting back, we uh, again admin, admin, admin. I got on top of the bag, made sure everything was ready, everything that we needed. Boots were ready, uh, kit ready, summit bag ready, things that I needed, all, all good to go. Um, you know, I, I'm able to reach up and, and get into the lid pocket without taking my bag off, so I made sure some of the essentials were just in there. I had the snacks in the side pockets, camel pack filled up, uh, and again, at this point, I figured I could buy the water, so I did it there. And also as well, there's even charging points at Meteo Station too, so I, I just got, I got my phone and my Apple Watch plugged in just for a bit. Not a full charge, but but just something to help for the next day. And, and and yeah, just just got all that sorted. Had some food, 
And then comes uh, the, uh, the briefing from the guides. And they've been friendly, laughing, professional, knowledgeable the whole way. But the briefing on this one was a bit morbid. You know, we, we had just done the training, which is fantastic, up on the snowpacks there. Um, and they just teach us how to self-arrest. You know, we were voluntarily just lobbing ourselves down the snow, <laughs> the uh, the pack of snow, trying to just like practice how to do a full rest. Um, all I'd say is be very, very careful because I actually ripped my gloves just, just slightly, moving over from my back to my front, and I just caught the end of the ice axe. So just be careful when you're doing that. Um, and then they taught us how to move uh, as as a group, keeping the rope um, pulled or you kind of tense the whole time, or as tense as possible when we're moving across a crevasse or we're moving up the um, for the summit. Fantastic training. Got back. Um, we um, we started eating the food, and they gave us this briefing. And Mark will go into it detail in a bit, but it was it was uh, it wasn't morbid. I wouldn't I wouldn't say, but it was it was serious. You know, it it, it made you realise this is a serious feat, and you need to figure out what your what your attitude is going to be. And if you're going to commit to doing this, make sure that you you know in your head that you what you are going to give it your all to doing it, because if one person, you know, the, the way they rope you up is a guide plus three people, and if one person in that group has to turn back, you all have to turn around and go back. As we'll find out a bit later, that happened with uh, with Matt. Um, but the summit day, uh, just just in, as far as my words go, before we cut away to Mark uh, and well to Matt and then to Mark, uh, were, it was incredible. It was just truly incredible, absolutely stunning. The views were incredible, and you know you, you get to a point as well where you're you're technically in Russia, um, and and you can just see over there's just vast expanse of just nothingness, and especially with the political climate going on at the moment with with Russia, it almost felt like um. And this is probably just because I watched The Lion King with my daughter before I left. But it felt like um, uh, I don't know if any of you watched the first Lion King movie, but um, uh, it was uh, you know they look over the elephant graveyard, and it's that shadowy bit, and they're like, but like, what's that shadowy bit? And he goes, you must never go there, Simba. Um, it kind of had those vibes to it. You look over, and, and it just you that there's just this one straight track you could see going over the glacier through the snow that just leads off into the distance where you make your approach from Russia. Um, and yeah, it's weird, weird feelings, but you know, truly incredible, stunning day. The weather rolled in, it was meant to be clear, no clouds all day, and the weather still came in, this cloud just caught up with us and um, gave us a wind chill that was just like second to none. Um, yeah, I mean, truly incredible, beautiful views, but the summit is not a given. If you can be a strong climber, strong hiker, positive attitude, but it's not a given that you're going to make it to the summit. And actually, what I'd love to do now is just go over to Matt, who made it to 4,800 meters before they had to make a decision to turn back. And um, great humility, great, honestly, courage on his part to admit the where he was. And um, and something we chat about in the in in our conversation too is that the guys, um, uh, Dave and Raj, who are with him, incredible uh, maturity just to be able to go, okay, sure, I'm feeling good, but we need to turn back, so let's do it. You know, just before we go away uh, to, to Matt here as well, it's really important to say that I approached this trip, you know, especially with how busy I am at the moment, and, and I will go into a bit more detail in, in a different time on what's been going on the last year and a half. Um, but you approach this trip and you, you kind of think, it's the summit, it's all about the summit, I want to get to the top, I want to experience 5,054 meters, it's about the summit. 
And, you know, what you realize doing the trip is the summit's just a cherry on top. If you make it, you make it, you know, brilliant. But really, this trip was all about the people. And uh, without wanting to be cheesy uh, and, and, and trying my best not to be very literal here, but it's all about the journey. It's about the acclimatization hikes we had, getting your admin sorted, you know, make, you know, figuring out who you are in approaching the summit, not figuring out who you are on the summit. You know, that's just a, a very brief moment in time um, before you realize you're only halfway. But um, yeah, let's cut to Matt and let's let's hear what Matt's Matt's view was on the, on the summer day and how it went for him. I wanted to talk about the um, the summit push as well, which is, I guess, uh, really, it's uh, that's like the big thing people people think about when they when they when they might be looking at climbing Kazbek. Um, you made it to a, a, a pretty phenomenal four thousand eight hundred meters. Mm. So, uh, talk us through the the summit day for you. Mm. Uh, so summit day, we uh, well, I don't think any of us had more than two and a half hours sleep maybe quite yeah. broke, and all of it was collective sleep. as well yeah in the kind of dorm room um, and then we were up about 20 to 20 to 2 in the morning breakfast at 2 which was a bit of a struggle to eat um, and then we were we were fully geared up and out the door head torches on for 3am um, and the first section of the trail was really gravelly uh, sort of gravelly and sandy and the trail was uh, not very solid so there's quite a lot of sort of slippage and it took a lot of concentration and a lot of energy and I, I think I, I probably noticed in that first hour that I was maybe in a bit of trouble I was struggling a little bit with keeping the pace of the, of the group um, it might be worth mentioning I guess uh, I was towards the older end of the group <laughs> um, and, uh, and, I, and the thoughts were there I didn't train hard enough for this but once that section was out of the way we got to the, the head of the glacier um, put crampons on roped up I was with uh, Raj and Dave um, and, our, and our guide and, and off we went and the first part of the glacier felt felt okay and the, the, the sun was just beginning to come up come up it was just like the most incredible view I was just like I can't believe I'm here and then it just started to get really hard um, um, I was you know my breathing was getting faster and faster and I was feeling more and more tired um, and then we sort of came to a section that just felt completely white and it was one of those strange landscapes where you can't judge distance mm. And you just felt like you're plodding and plodding and plodding and plodding and all you're looking at is your feet or the feet of the man in front of you and then you look up and you feel like you haven't covered any ground at all and i started to realize just how far this was going to be i had no sense of time um and then as we turned the we turned right towards the the kind of shoulder up to uh, the last part of the mountain the the the, uh, the incline went up quite a bit and the weather, we were more exposed to the wind at that point, but still not in the sunshine yet. So it was starting to get really cold. My, my hands were going numb. I think the gloves I had were inadequate for the task. Um, and that was when I really started to struggle. So we were probably at around about 4,500 at that point, I'd guess. Uh, and we pressed on uh, as best we could. But then I sort of got to a point where I was hunched over and, and sort of shuffling along and I looked down and my steps were, each step was, pro was barely big enough for like my feet to move out of alignment with one another. Um, and then I sort of, and I realised I was sort of hyperventilating probably like three times my rate at sea level and yet didn't feel like I was hyperventilating or mm. didn't feel lightheaded or anything. Couldn't get enough air. And then, um, 
and then I heard this sort of groaning sound. <laughs> and then I realised it was me. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, yeah, I'm, I think I'm in trouble here. Um, and it, we were just at the point where it, it starts to get really steep. The last section before you need to start using axes. And um, the guy turned around once more and he checked on me. And, and I had to admit, I'm just completely exhausted. And, uh, and our pace was getting slower and slower. And I think, I think Raj, who was behind me on the rope, was starting to notice that I was struggling a little bit. And then I guess we had, you know, we'd reached 4,800, so we were 250 metres short of the summit, which doesn't sound like a lot, but the guide told us that an average group would take three to three and a half hours to summit from that point. And that was a real uh, moment of clarity for me that I just didn't have it in me to do that. And even if I did, it would be really unsafe for the way back down. And so it was a really, really tough decision to make. Mm. Um, I'd been building up this trip for a couple of years and training for it, been talking to lots of people about it. I think I'd thought it never really crossed my mind that I wouldn't summit. That mm. was one of my expectations that was there. It was like, well, obviously I'm going to summit. I'm going with the guide. And, um, and Dave and Raj were amazing, incredibly like compassionate. And there, was no, there wasn't the slightest flicker of them being angry with me or cross. They were both just like, look, you've got, you've got to listen to your body. You've got to be safe. We've got a long walk back. And we stood there, I think, as a group for probably close to 10 minutes not always talking some of it was just them looking at me and I was very aware of their eyes on me and I was just sort of standing there working through all this stuff in my head and just feeling really upset and crushingly disappointed but having to try and accept the reality that this was this was over you know I had to I had to turn around it was unsafe and so ultimately they kind of nudged me towards saying look you have to not think about us take us out of the decision here what is your body telling you and I said my body is telling me I can't keep going uphill mm. <laughs> uh, I just I don't think you know I don't think I just need to eat more or drink more I think I'm just my body is at a point of total exhaustion here and, uh, and we called it um, so that was that was the summit push and then we had a five-hour return journey, which was quite eventful as well. Yeah, yeah I like, um, accidentally put your foot through a snow bridge. Yeah, I fell into a crevasse um, just through, I think, a mixture of exhaustion and uh, our guide was, I think, very understandably very keen to get me back off the hill and was going quite fast across yeah. the crevasse field. And because I was kind of looking at my feet most of the time, I, I didn't really have the chance to, to kind of plot his route across the crevasses. Mm. And um, when I looked up, this one crevasse had a snow bridge, so I sort of naively assumed, well, that must be where he crossed. And I put my right foot on it, and it just went straight through, up to the thigh, and I was kind of chest height into the crevasse. Um, I'm kind of blessed that I have no idea how deep it was. Yeah. <laughs> it may have been, I like to think it might have been six foot deep rather than 200. Yeah. Um, but I was still roped up, and um, I kind of stuck in my walking poles. Um, to stop myself going any further and, and, and the guide um, tightened his rope and I dragged myself out. But I think I was so tired I didn't even really process what had just happened. <laughs> just kind of had to get on with it yeah, and get uh, back to base. So I think that's one one point as well to anyone coming on the trip is that they um you need to have your wits about you, that yeah. you're, you're not babied. No, um, not at all. You, you, you rope up, yeah. they, they teach you how to be safe, they do everything that they can mm -hmm. to show you how to do, yeah. but they will just move across and it's up to you to have your wits about you and yeah. be concentrating. Absolutely. And if anything, actually, it's, it's weird, it's almost like you hope it doesn't become a Chinese whisper situation. You've got to trust mm. the guy in front is following the guy in front who's following the, where the guide went. Yeah, um, yeah it's, uh, 
Mm. It's, it's odd, isn't it? And you know, hoping out of going around a bench and cut corners, but yeah. Um, how now? Mm. A few days later, mm-hmm. how do you feel about the decision to, to turn around? Because obviously, you said crushing, like yeah, in the, on, mo- on the, in day, the moment, yeah. in the moment, absolutely. But um, even in that moment, I knew my logical brain knew unequivocally this is the right thing to do. This just it's a it's a total no brainer. You have no energy left. The, where you're stopping is the beginning of the hardest part of the climb. It's not like it's an easy bit from here, you know. The wind had picked up by that point. I mean, you, you summited, so you know what it was like up there. But even where we were, the gusts were 30, 40 miles an hour, and it was really cold. Um, so logically, I knew we have to turn back. And in that moment, I, I just couldn't emotionally accept that. Mm. But it didn't take long, actually. And I think that's in large part due to... Dave and Raj, and how um, sorry, I'm quite emotional all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's been a big day. It's, yeah, it's big time. Yeah, they were they were just amazing. They were so so patient and, and compassionate and generous. And I was so aware that this was their trip. They'd built up to it much like I had. They'd spent the same money on it that I had. And the only reason they weren't summiting that day is because I wasn't physically up to it. But um, if I sort of slightly take that pressure off myself of the kind of the impact on others. I, what I feel about it now is this was my first ever high altitude mountaineering experience. I came into it, some part of me was thinking, obviously I'm in a summit, but there's another part of me that's thinking, this isn't a learning experience. You're going to learn something, whatever happens. Mm. And I feel really grateful for that. And I feel really proud of the fact that, you know, starting my high altitude mountaineering career at 41, I got to the height, <laughs> beyond the height of Mont Blanc before yeah. I turned around. You know, <laughs> like, I'll, I'll stick to that. Um, and actually, there's been so much about this trip that I didn't expect that's been amazing. The fact that I didn't summit has already begun to feel less significant. Mm. Um, I think I still, arguably I may have even got more out of the trip through not summiting than I would have done if I had. At that moment of deciding to turn around, weirdly makes me feel more connected to the mountaineering community than if I'd summited. Mm. Yeah. Because so much of what I've read is about, you know, when you read all, of, all about all the big expeditions to Everest, they talk about these clients who've paid, what is it, like £40,000 or something? Yeah, to, 40, to 40 is cheap, yeah, 40, like 60 yeah. So these average, are probably yeah. books written in the 90s, right? But yeah. So people have paid a year's salary at least to do this. They've built their life around this moment of summiting and they can, they can see the summit. Yeah. And the guide says, no, we've got to turn around. Yeah. And that is, that. I mean, comparing that with my decision, mine is like, it's, it's easy, it's easy peasy. But, yeah. you know, it it made me understand how hard that must be for people and arguably mountaineering is about doing it safely it's not mm. just about doing it like you can do it in a really unsafe way and you can feed your ego yeah. and get to the top but i wouldn't have got down safely and my team may not have got down safely so the most grown-up decision i could make yeah. was to do that yeah um, it takes it takes a lot of effort mm. to turn to that close mm. um to do that yeah. and with the expectations as well I mean I, I don't know about about you but like mine was it, it's a cliche that everyone knows anyway but sometimes mm. it just takes a moment of acknowledging it mm-hmm. of it was really about the uh, it was about the process you know I bought I bought personally I bought this package and I'd be keen to know what you think as well like you know thinking of a summit on a mountain forgetting really it's about the people and we were very fortunate to have incredible yeah. people we on this were. trip we were and the guys as well yeah um, yeah it, was, it really it was all about um, the the acclimatization hikes, the the, uh, the checks around the dinner table, yeah, yeah. the the 
uh, the combined uh, disgust at the meteor station's hotness. <laughs> and, and actually, uh, and maybe it's easier for me to say it because I, I did summit, but actually mm. the summit, in hindsight, mm. was a very insignificant part of the entire mm. trip for me. Mm. Right. Um, and actually, to be fair as well, 4,800 meters is where the fun stopped. So you, 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 you got to a good point. <laughs> so yeah, a really good... Um, a really good insight into how the summit might not go to plan. You, you you can't guarantee anything, and you know, and wild things happen in wild places. So so yeah, really good uh, version of events there from from Matt uh, in regards to him just uh, trying to trying to get on through and the humility, maturity, and cracking decision making made from him and the team he was with. Um, but now running through a bit more by, from an itinerary basis, starting from the night sleep or lack of night sleep the night before. Um, here's Mark and I talking through, um, talking through our summit, um, summit attempt and summit day. Um, you know, M- Mark was on the, on the front of the rope that I was on, uh, just behind Becca, the lead guide. So uh, myself, Mark, and uh, and Andy were all together, and um, and yeah, he's he's got a he, he tells the story really well of, of of running through the summit day as a whole. Um, so yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll just go over to to Mark now, I guess. I make it sound like it's live. It's not live. I'm just sat here in my office with a with a with a cat that we just collected yesterday running around. But um, but yeah, let, let's let's cut now to Mark. Yeah, I mean, summit day was a long day. We were up at the Mateo hut. No running water. No toilet. Drinking melted snow. Putting uh, sanitization tablets into the water just so that we don't get any any weird effects from that dodgy dodgy water that was like yellowy browny color I remember sedimenty, sedimenty. oh you know, people are like oh yeah but you know you're up there there's loads of snow just melt the snow and drink it it doesn't work like that this the the snow when melted doesn't look that white it's actually pretty pretty dirty and um, i remember we had dinner at like 7 or 7 30 and the guides gave us probably the gravest or darkest of all briefs you know no risks will be taken one person in the group that can't make it all the group come back down and no, no, you know, they, they were really, really adamant about the whole safety thing, which obviously was good, but they were pretty nonchalant up until that point. And I was like, you know, it was all really nice and we're hiking and accl- acclimatizing and all this type of stuff. And all of a sudden, boom, you know, it was like, that's when it really felt real. Um, and then, you know, who the hell is going to sleep at 7 PM after that kind of brief. Plus we were 10 men in sleeping bags on two bunk beds in what I can describe as a Soviet prison cell. <laughs> I mean, but genuinely, Chris, I've never ever done anything like that. As you know, like I spend all my time in Dubai. I'm in five-star hotels all the time. And then all of a sudden I'm in my sleeping bag, in my summit clothes, sleeping shoulder to shoulder with you. Obviously not sleeping, just there like staring at the ceiling with 10 blokes around me in a in a in in what I can only describe as a Soviet prison cell. Obviously, we hardly slept. Alarm went off at 1.45 and I literally, literally rolled, like we, we, I sat up, I rolled my sleeping bag off and put my feet directly into the, into, the, into the mountain boots. Like my feet did not touch the ground. We packed our bags, went to the, to the breakfast room and tried to eat something before we, before we headed out. But, you know, what are you going to eat? You can't eat anything. So like a little bit of cereal, a cookie, you know, some tea. Boiled egg. Boiled egg. <laughs> We didn't want to have any coffee just so we, we didn't we, 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 we don't stimulate any any bowel movements because uh, <laughs> that, that, that would have been a hideous hideous uh, experience to be in so no no coffee just straight tea and water and then 
3 a.m., pitch black, no sleep, headlamps on, and go. We trekked for about two hours in the pitch black across quite loose ground. And some areas were quite icy, um, you know, head down, one step at a time, moving. And we moved at quite a decent pace uh, all the way till we got to the, the, the glacier. And then we put our crampons on, had a quick biscuit, we got roped up, and then we started on the ice. And a couple of hours later, the sun came up, and that's when I really started to enjoy myself. You know, the scenery was amazing. I felt really, really good. I was taking videos. Fingers and toes were cold, but not too bad. And then all of a sudden, bam. You remember the, when that wind picked up all of a sudden? Yeah. We saw that cloud come in behind us. I don't know if you look behind, but it was this big, big, lovely little cloud on its way behind us, just going, I'm catching up. And as, as soon as it came over, it was just, it was, I don't know about you, but the wind chill, like, it just, I might, it felt like I wasn't even wearing a glove on my right hand. I literally, that's exactly how I was describing it to people. Like, I had all these layers. I had my, my, I had my t shirt around my head. I had the ba- little balaclava on. I had my helmet on and I felt fine. Like, I didn't really feel cold at any point, even though it was, I don't, I don't know, probably like minus four, minus five. And then you look in front of you and there's the shadow and then the sun. And I'm like, wow, this is beautiful. You look back and there's this hideous thing chasing you. And then all of a sudden, boom, the wind hit. And genuinely, that was by far the, the coldest wind that I've ever experienced. And and I felt like basically t- t- I'd taken all my layers off. You know, the cold went straight into my bones, into my chest, and I had like three layers around my ear. So I had the, my T-shirt, the hat, and then the balaclava. And it felt like there was nothing. I felt, it felt like the wind was going straight into my ear. It was it was insane. Um, but we kept going. We kept walking to, towards where the, the, the sun hit the mountains and, you know, hoping that we would hit, to, hit, hit a point where the sun would actually hit us. But it just seemed like the closer we got, the, the deeper the shade got and the further, the further away the sun got. Um, and... And, and at that point, you know, we were we were walking in in, in snow, uh, and then the walk up to the saddle, which took about an hour and a half, was really, 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 really rough for me, man. That walk up to the saddle was probably the hardest part of the whole thing. I was basically performing one rep max step ups every step that I took. My breathing was laboured, and if I lost, as we as we were just saying, if I lost concentration for a split second. I had to stop and, and actually take a few deep breaths just to get my breathing rhythm again. And that was the first time I'd ever noticed that, you know, it, it, you, you, you're close to panicking because you're like, can't, can't take a, can't take a breath. And then of course the, the, the rucksack, I don't know what, how, how many kilos was it? Seven, eight kilos we were carrying at that point. You were carrying about 27,000 kilos because you, <laughs> that was just across the glacier. All <laughs> oh, right. You had half, half of Georgia's water on your back at that point, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to drink that snow water. <laughs> that seven or eight kg rucksack, though, that felt like at one point felt like it was forty kg. You know that lingering headache from the altitude. I mean, that was a really, really, really rough patch for me. But you know, at that point, if you remember, we were actually in quite good spirits. Generally, you know, up to the point we they were like, okay, we're going to take a break. And then I don't know who it was. I think it was you or Andy or someone was like, oh, Becca, you know, one of the guides, Becca, mate, how long to go to the top? And then without any hesitation, he just responds, four hours. Like, what? <laughs> pause, 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 pause. Four hours. We, we've been going five. No, it can't be four hours. I mean, like, at, and at that point, you, you just saw everyone's face was like, is he, is he joking? We were looking around. And you know, we were quite jovial at that point. And all of a sudden, it just got really serious. 
re- really, really serious. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. And actually, it didn't turn out to be four hours, but but actually that, that effect worked really well because before I knew it, we were, we were right on the saddle, we were facing the summit. And actually what the opposite way thinking that we had like another i thought when they were like when we were around that corner just after where you are like at the moment like i, I thought i thought we had like another hour and a half or like another stretch to go yeah let's see the summit but then but when you think about you know where the dog was like asking for snacks um by the serac and then to the saddle that you know i feel like we could have stuck a movie on and watched the whole thing and the amount yeah. of time it took to get that short oh, distance it really yes exactly i think that like maybe three or four hundred no, two or three hundred meters took took you know a good hour hour and a half or so. it felt like ages but, you know when he said that four hours thing I, and it, i felt like i'd been kicked in the stomach mate i genuinely felt like i've been kicked in the stomach and i was like there's, I don't think I can do four hours to the summit. Like a, I'm, I'm really, really struggling here. And then the subsequent stretch to the saddle took some, some mental effort. But you know, we were up there in, in hour and a half. And I was like, okay, hold on, that, we're nearly there. And then they were like, okay, when we get to the saddle, we're going to have a nice break. We got to the saddle, and the wind was just so strong, picking up and just battering us. And you just didn't want to stay still. So um, we made the right decision to just keep, keep going. And then we attacked the summit. And again, that was really hard. I've been telling people that at that point, you know, we were moving really slow. The pace really dropped down. And then I didn't realize how slow we were going until I saw the video that you made. And there's like a, there's a video of me. I'm behind Becca. So Becca's number one. Then there's me. Then there's Andy. Then there's you. Then there's David. Then there's Luke. Then there's Nick. And literally it was like one step one step i thought that video was about a minute and 10 seconds or so i thought oh, be- i best stop this because otherwise it'll be too long and when i looked at the summit one it's four and a half minutes is the full full video i've got and, and that was after several videos i kept i kept turning off at what i thought was about 45 seconds one minute because i thought that you know that's just gonna be too long a video and i'll just chop them together but yeah I, I took loads of videos and the last one which i thought was maybe two minutes max it was like four and a half minutes it was mad the, the, the way i describe it is is you know every breath you take like at sea level, you take a deep breath and you get energy. Like, and I felt like you know, I was taking these deep breaths and just like nothing was going into my legs. Nothing was happening. Nothing was happening. It's like it was crazy. And and it, I, I told people, like I said, I was going slow, but I didn't realize how slow it was. Like one breath, one step. One breath, one step. One breath, one step. And when I tell people, you know, it took us an hour to get two hundred meters. People are like, nah, come on. And then they realized that we, we were we were walking up ice like at that at, you know that gradient. Yeah, it's, yeah it was steep. Yeah, it was really really steep. But um, anyway, we 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 got there. We made it right up to the to the to the summit. And holy bananas, the scenery was absolutely breathtaking. If you remember, we had Georgia in front of us, Russia behind us. What a tremendous feeling, you know, having planned to make it and then making it up on the top. And what what do we what was our time like six hours and forty five minutes, which is actually pretty fast. It's considered. What, was that our time? Six hours forty five. Yeah, yeah, we we left we left at three fifteen, and I took a Andy took a picture of me in the summit at nine fifty two. So so yeah, about six and a half hours or so. Yeah. Wow, amazing! I mean, that's that's incredible. And then, you know, you just at th- at that point, you you I was absolutely cooked, right? And I'm like, okay, I'm done. Thank God, we made it to the summit. Everything's fine. Yeah, let's have a breather here, guys. And then we were there, what, seven minutes max, six minutes? You know, took videos, shook hands, 
at that point, I was actually quite emotional, man, because I felt really, really proud of the fact that we actually made it. And then, you know, news was trickling through that other people weren't start, weren't, weren't able to make it and stuff like that. So, you know, we were the only ones that were, were able to make it to the summit. So, you know, I was quite emotional. I was really happy to have made it. And, uh, you know, we came to Georgia, we came to, to Mount Kazbek to make it to the summit. You know, there was absolutely no, no way that we weren't going to make it. And we did make it. So it was a, a really, really amazing experience and a beautiful feeling. And then uh, we proceeded to head back down. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, I, I, I don't know about you, like, you know, when you go visit someone, like, far away, and then like, the journey home feels quicker in the car. Yeah, yeah. Like, no. <laughs> hey, do you remember at one, at one point, like, people were getting annoyed because we were just, like, running past them. Yeah, at one point, we were jogging back, jogging back. In the, yeah, I just wanted to get our, down. In our crampons, like, you know, <laughs> you, you were leading the way, basically pulling me along, dragging dragging me along Kazbek. I'll tell you something though, mate, like the when we got to the top, the, I had a couple of episodes where like I could have easily fallen asleep. Like I was like so tired. I'm like... Well, that's what like, the, the cold and the altitude does that. Like you, your brain just wants to get comfy and go to sleep. And then the, the like two hours from, from the summit, the, the next two hours, I genuinely don't remember. I've, I felt so sick, really, really sick. I could have easily, you know, been sick there and then. I had a terrible headache. Um, my chest was really hurting. I couldn't breathe properly. But then all of a sudden, we dropped seven or 800 meters and I was able to breathe better again. My headache went away. As soon as the extra dose of, of oxygen came, my, my, you know, my, my, my chest felt better. And I, got, I felt like I got second wind. And I really then was able to enjoy the, the walk back, you know, when we've been hiking, you know, nine hours. Um, and I was really able to enjoy it. And then we made it back. And yeah, what a, what a tremendous, tremendous, you know, nine, 10 hours or so that we, we spent up on that mountain. Was, uh, and, uh, you know, grateful for, for you and Nick and, and Luke and Andy for, for make, helping me get up there. Because uh, I don't think I would have made it up there without you lot. Yeah, very glad that I made it. Very glad that we experienced that summit. It was, it was beautiful. Yeah, so an epic day, a truly epic day. Um, and reaching the top was was insane. But I was I was just personally, it's so weird. You know, every breath you took, you know, down down at sea level, if you're tired, you stop and you take a breath, and you feel like you get some energy back. But every breath I took, I just, I just want to siphon energy into my legs, and nothing. My legs were just they just felt empty. I was taking deep breaths, and nothing was going back. I think for, for me personally, with the stage I, I was at, the only thing that got me to the top was my head. I'm just just commanding my body to do it. I was like, you are, you are not, you are not giving up. Um, you know, giving up wasn't even an option. It, it, I never thought, oh, should I stop? You know, could I, can I make it to the top? However, I did quite hard negotiate with myself. <laughs> I had, I had everything going through my head. So I had, um, I obviously had the uh, the normal sort of you know pulling on uh, on Penny, uh, my daughter. It's going, you know, you're doing this, do do this for Penny as well, you know, you know, set an example, show what it's like, see the photos. But I also had, um, you know, one of the things I want to do, uh, the next big mountain I want to do is probably going to be next year, Tukal. And uh, I was even there going, come on, Chris, just another hour and a half of hiking and you don't have to look at snow for another 18 months. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, Mark and I were in a similar, similar place. But, you know, one of my favorite books, in fact, my favorite book, full stop, is The Fall of Reach by Eric Nyland. And it's the, actually the, the prequel book to the first Halo game. It's fantastic. But one of the things they talk about in that book is that you are halfway. When the mission is done, you're halfway. And it's not complete 
until you get back, you know, you know, in, in that in that instance, you know, RCB back to return to base. Once you're back, then it's done. And um, you know, thinking larger scale, you know, for me, the whole trip isn't done until I'm back home safely with you know with with, with Penny in my arms again, just in case something goes wrong. But as far as that summit day goes, when we reached the top, it was halfway. That's halfway. And we had a huge descent to go back. And like I said with Mark, it, you know, a journey back from visiting a friend seems to always go quicker. But this just felt so long, especially with the sun up now. You can see what you're moving through. Uh, and with no clouds surrounding us, giving us an almost whiteout experience. You know, it was a it, it was a long, long trip. You know, taking us, um, take us through Rockfall as well. It was really fascinating how with each step I just felt more and more oxygen returning to my body and had more and more energy coming through. Um, and actually, uh, Andy talks through the his the you know, the descent quite well. So let's um let's head over to to Andy again and, and see what he has to say about the descent. You know, big fan. You know, we were talking about the the fall of reach as well um, a couple of nights ago. The, the Halo book, um, and they 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 have a kind of a mantra in there, which is that you know you're not done until you're back. Like it's not mission success until until you're back, and and that I think that slapped me yeah. <laughs> real hard when yeah. I was like, oh my god, it's gonna be like minimum five hours back. <laughs> oh yeah, minimum five hours back, and then you get down, you have lunch, which is a weird feeling because you feel like you've already been up for four days, yeah. and then and then a hike down to the lower heart, the Alti Heart yeah. from Meteor Station, which you just think you know you're gonna break, you're gonna have a big lunch, and then you've got an hour and a half trek down a glacier. Yeah, and you th- and that was weighing on my mind right big time, but I. I think one of the problems I had was I was chatting to David, one of the guides, and um, I said to him that I had a few of those gels, uh, science and sports gels or whatever they are, yeah. and I've never had those before, and it's like um, it's like mainlining cocaine in your eyeballs. <laughs> it's like pre-workout in a gel, <laughs> yeah, wasn't it? it was <laughs> like having one of those, I was flying for the next hour and a half, but I think I'd had two at the right times to get me to the top and then on the way down yeah. I crashed and the only thing I had left was a gel and I really didn't want to take another one on the way down so <laughs> I was like I'm going to have to just do the whole five hours without any food on the way down mm. in a crash and as soon as I accepted that mm. as soon as I was like that's the situation you're in I was fine yeah. so I was like you're just going to just, it's just going to suck but yeah. you, you can make it I know you can make it sort of thing but the worst bit coming down was the <laughs> coming around the corner like you know from the Russian side mm looking back down into Georgia and down the, from the top of the glacier all the way down mm. and it was just like an endless expanse of white yeah. and you knew you had a probably a two hour walk down a glacier yeah. with the wind and actually there was this one point just before we'd come around the corner because you know coming up, coming up the glacier was the super windy bit yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Off. It's yeah. horrible. Yeah. we had like borderline white out didn't we exactly and just before we came on the way back down, come around the corner back onto the glacier, I was roasting hot coming down the hill because the sun was out. There was yeah. no real wind that side of the mountain. Took off my like uh, my outer shell, rejigged my clothing. I think I even took my gloves off. Yeah, I did. I took my gloves off. Um, I think I took my hat off. <laughs> and then we all like got ready to go. And then I looked at our guide Becca, mm. and he was still geared up, like fully clothed up. And I was like. Uh-oh, what have I done? And we, two minutes later, went around the corner and got blasted with the wind for two hours down this glacier, and I was freezing cold. And that was kicking me. And I was sick getting more and more tired. And then you were pacing ahead at the front of the rope, which I kind of half appreciated, because I was like, let's just get this over. Yeah. And half being like, I think Chris is actually doing all the work for me. 
pulling me on the road. <laughs> <laughs> just like, take me. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, overtaking yeah. other groups, which I found <laughs> incredible. Yeah. I, yeah, I just kind of wanted to get that. I turned around to Mark. Um, um, no, Mark. No, it was it was you? You behind me, or was it Mark behind me? I was in the middle because you. Oh, you, you were you, you clips to yeah. go, and then didn't you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I turned around to Mark, um, and I, I said, mm. um, "I was at the back. Sorry, yeah. No, yeah. on on the way back, yeah, he, was, he, yeah, he, was, yeah. he shortened the rope or, mm-hmm. or lengthened the rope again, didn't he? And then mm-hmm. um, went from there. But yeah, so." Um, I just turned around to Mark and I went, Mark, can you go a bit quicker? Uh, and no, not rudely, like, like yeah. a genuine like, question. Are you okay and, with and, it? Yeah. yeah. And I was like, are you okay if we do that? Yeah. And, and he, he just went, yeah. Uh, and I was like, right, let's go. Because I remember him saying that. He turned around to me and said, are you okay with going quicker? And I heard you ask him and I was like, well, it's already two to one, so I can't say no here. There's no point. I was like, well, I was thinking to myself, no, can we just pace it? But I was like, well, like, what can I do? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But it was good actually in the end. But then the worst bit for all of us, right? Yeah. Surely getting to the rockfall. And and yeah, and actually there, that's a good point, you know, with the rockfall. On the way up to the summit, we were moving through and, you know, under cover of night uh, with the beautiful stars above us, um, you know, and when that light was just starting to come up, you know, with the half moon as well lighting up the area. So we had this wonderful mixture of, you know, head torches only, but when you look out, you could just see the silhouettes of all the mountains. But a couple of times we heard these really loud just cracks and then just these huge rocks coming down. And at one point, you know, the, the, the second one, we saw the, um, you could see the boulder just coming down the, the mountain. It was, it was mad. And then I've already explained before, you know, when, you, when you're turning around and you come back down with the, with the sunlight, you know, the sun's up now and you can see where you are. We came through and shortly before I had stopped leading um, and I had said, you know, to Becca, you know, I don't, don't feel comfortable at the front here. I, I don't want to... Uh, you know, not see a, a crevasse or something and, and lead us down it. So we, we kind of swapped around. Becca then took the lead and then I was at the back again. And he took us through the uh, the rockfall. And um, and we go into it a bit in, in a bit of detail here. It was, um, it felt sketchy, you know. Um, it was the one time I felt a little bit uh, frightened. You know, I had, I had I was a bit nervous with the crevasses at first. But I thought, listen, I've, I've had full arrest training. But I'm on a rope with three other blokes. Um... You know, we've got a lead guide taking us through. We're following his footsteps. We're going to be fine. But with the rockfall, there was nothing I could control. There was nothing I could say, you know, other than at least I'll see it coming and be able to take cover. Um, and you know, with with Mark's uh, with Mark's crampons, um, it, it, it fell off just as we entered the rock field. And uh, and um, and Becca was saying, you know, we can't stop here. We've got to go. So he was getting frustrated at his crampon. And therefore, he wasn't giving me any time to um to cross and psych myself up to jump. So I, I just had to I just had to do it. Um, but we got through okay. Um, but you know, we we go into it in in a bit more detail here with the conversation with 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 Andy. So let's let's jump back to Andy, shall we? Yeah. The, the I wanted to ask what your what your thoughts were on the rockfall. Um. Well, when was that Wednesday? It's now Sunday, and my nose is still bleeding from the dust. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So horrible. <laughs> yeah, that's disclaimer. I would have, I probably would have already mentioned it by this point, but, um, but um, yeah, it's it's dusty, real dusty. Yeah. Like if you go in the late summer, there's no snow to help settle things. So you, you're just you're just kicking up dust everywhere. And the rockfall was, uh, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not like spiritual or or anything, but um, I, I do believe that 
you know, a mountain lets you summit. You don't conquer a mountain. Yeah, like, yeah. It lets you. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I kept thinking about um, in Norway, they, 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 they talk a lot about trolls being in the mountains. Mm. Um, and and, and I, I thought of similar situations. When we were going through the rockfall, in hindsight, they were always dropping where we weren't including where we had been. Yeah. Like, once we passed through, there were some rockfalls dropping, like, where we were before. But it seemed to clear its way the whole it, way it, through it, the rockfall. It did a little bit. And there was a funny thing when the morning, going up, I didn't notice we were going through mm. this rockfall really no. at all because it was so dark. And you knew you were walking on this horrendous, sort of, rock, like, rocky terrain. But you, I remember both of us turning around at one point with a rockfall in yeah, the distance. Yeah, massive crack, didn't we? You could see one shadowy, like, boulder flying off the mountain yeah. behind us. I remember thinking, oh, that was cool. Yeah. And then coming back down in the daylight, the landscape looked completely different, and it was like a war zone of rocks, wasn't mm. it? And I remember saying to the guide, to Becca, I said, how come we're coming down a different route? And he looked down at random and he just laughed at me and said, no, this is, this is the same route. Yeah. And there were rocks flying off left, right, and centre. Yeah, and I was like, was we walked through this in the morning, in the dark. Yeah. Um, but the worst thing about it, I mean, I was knackered going yeah. through that. It was now roasting hot, and... We were, you know, it's tough terrain, but you're not allowed to stop because it's dangerous to stop there. Mm. Poor Mark had his crampon falling off. Yeah, yeah. Then set up two right crampons. <laughs> no, two left ones. Two yeah, left two left crampons. <laughs> so the one on his right foot was like flopping around. Yeah. <laughs> and the and the best thing about it was, the guide said, "So we can't stop here to sort your crampon out, but we're still jumping over crevasses every so often." <laughs> so he's got basically a fucked crampon trying to jump over a crevasse. Yeah. And then at some point towards the end of the rockfall, after like an hour and a half of walking through it, I said, I said to Becca, I said to the guide, I was like, oh, it's dangerous, right? You can't stop there. And he said, yeah. He said, I've never heard of anyone being hurt or killed by a rock falling. I have heard of lots of people who've fallen in crevasses, but it's just good practice to not stop here. And I was thinking, you just made a guy jump over crevasses without a crampon so that we stay in the, can't stay in a place that you've never heard anyone die in. Yeah. <laughs> it's... Yeah, I know, but yeah, it's um, it's weird, isn't it? I think there's there's more people going through going over the crevasses than walking near that rockfall. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a, I think there's definitely a statistical thing there. But um. with that, that kind of brings an end to the, the trip in a roundabout way. Uh, once we got through the the rockfall out the glacier, um, we had this moment of respite just to relax and chill out before heading down to the meteo station and um. I was kind of grateful for it, to be honest, because I, I knew of the 12 of us on the trip, five of us summited. And, I, and you know, I knew that there'd be questions and um, I, we were still riding this, you know, despite being exhausted, we, we were on this high and we had this uh, sort of connection almost made um, from reaching the summit altogether. So, I, d- <laughs> I don't know, the, the people probably wouldn't have cared. And, you know, you know Peggy said one of his favourite moments was when we came back. Uh, but for me, I am I, always quite conscious about what, what other people might be feeling or thinking. So I, I didn't didn't want to be around a lot of people who didn't make it talking about how great it was. So we took that moment of respite almost as a last um, last uh, opportunity just to sit and relax. But actually, as it turned out, it's quite the opposite. When we got back to Meteo Station, people obviously super happy, asking how it was. But we were just... Um, and, you know, if you listen to this in the car with kids... Um, maybe skip the next 15 seconds but we were fucked <laughs> we were fucked um you know we had um uh we had two others considering going up the next day 
um, because the way the trip worked was um, you had your summit day and then you had a reserve day and if you attempted the summit uh, the the head of the you know the head guy back of the back of the shop was saying you know you can pay the guides to to try again the next day yourself, but if you don't attempt on the summit day then you can go on the reserve day. So by by technicality these people had chosen not to go on the summit day and they were trying to talk themselves into and had decided at that point to uh, to head up on the on the reserve day and Becca was kind of advising against it um, for for how they had been on the trip. And uh, and he said, I think before you decide, you should speak to these two. And he pointed, <laughs> I saw him in the corner of my point. I'm sat on the end of that wonderful first class bunk bed, <laughs> just with my head in my hands. And um, Mark is just leant against the wall, just like sort of contemplating life. And, uh, and, and yeah, apparently that was enough for them to think, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe the summit isn't for us. But actually, as it turned out, it was just back into the same routine, straight on the admin. I, I you know, we we had lunch earlier than the rest of the guys because we kind of needed the calories quick. Um, but I got there about 10, 15 minutes late because I I just got everything sorted. I, I got all my bag packs, not gracefully at all. I just shoved everything back to, back into my bag, got everything squared away, everything sorted up, kept my boots on because there was there was damage to my feet which I didn't want to address until I had to. So I kept the B three boots on. Um, and then it got everything sorted, got all my kit squared away. And then a long story short, um, Luke managed to really put out the bag and, and he said to the to the guides, you know, we don't want to wait until later to go down to the Aldi hut. We have five of us right now packed, good to go. We can leave immediately. And uh, thankfully, Dachi took us out and um, we went back down. That's why we discovered why Mark's crampon is, is being a bit silly because uh, he said you've got two left crampons, two left feet. And then we covered the... Um, Cover covered the glacier back down again. My ankle just rolling all the time because it's just there's just like no more stability in my knees or, or ankles anymore. And actually, leaving, we wanted to get to the Alti hut as quick as possible. But what Dachi did and ended up being really beautiful and, and really appreciated is he took us this scenic route all the way back to Alti hut and he was talking to us about you know his experience and where he likes to climb and you know about, about the, the rock formations and the flowers and the nature there. and uh, yeah, it was incredible. Uh, he he really took us on a really lovely scenic route back to the Alti hut, and then by by the time we got back, it wasn't long before the other guys joined us uh, who took the direct route back. Um, and yeah, after that, you know, it was celebrations. You know, get your admin again, admin squared away. I gave myself a five star festival wash and got into some nooks and crannies <laughs> to make sure I was all good. Um, really sort of made sure I was all, all clean as, as best I could, clean and good to go but you got to remember there's no showers uh, you know, you, the last time you shower is when you leave the hotel or if you're flying straight there when you leave your house and you will shower again when you're back in Stepan's Minda so yeah, got everything sorted got myself sorted and um, yeah um, it, it was just um, celebrations from there back in Stepan's Minda, we had a lovely time as well and, and again make sure you follow if you're thinking about going for a drink just ask Becca and see where he recommends because he took us to a wonderful place which you can either see on my Instagram or um, just find out yourself by, 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 by booking the trip but um, yeah I think uh, to be honest with you I'm going to leave my comments there we're going to cut away to, to Matt then Andy then Mark as far as their sort of how the trip weighed up to them and their expectations, their closing comments. But for me, this was one of the best experiences of my life. I think if I wasn't a dad, it would have been the best experience of my life and definitely the hardest thing I've ever done. And I could not recommend it enough. 
but yeah, cl- closing comments about your expectations and, how, and what specifically changed. Um, it, it's it, it's left me. It's more that it's left me with questions rather than conclusions, and I think the, there's a genuine question that about whether or not I have it in me or whether I have a desire for a, trying to have a kind of career in not a career in terms of financially, but you know whether I want to do more high altitude mountaineering. Um, I cert- it certainly hasn't altered my love affair with the mountains in any way. If anything, it's deepened it because it's just reinforced how incredibly humble you, they, how humbling they are, and what a dangerous landscape it is. But how also utterly, unequivocally beautiful <laughs> it is. So I think um, it's left me with a question about what what kind of mountain experience I want to have going forward. Um, it's not that I'm leaving thinking I'm incapable, like this has proven me incapable. What it's proven is I need to train harder. And, um, your, and your I'd say as well, I think it's proven that you, you need to find a way to rest well, because I, I don't think there was a single night, which is an important disclaimer. Absolutely, this yeah. I don't think there was a single night where you got a good night's sleep. No, that's so, true. So, yeah, and I, I suffered quite badly with the altitude the first night with fe- yeah. fever and, and whatnot. But yeah, so it's left me with a question about how, what my relationship with the mountains looks like going forward, but it's not a question of do I have a relationship or not, it's just what does it look like. Yeah. And, uh, and I just leave incredibly grateful for having had the experience really and, and having met the people, that was one of the things I did not expect. I signed up for this on my own, thinking I'd be with 11 other people who we'd rub along together all right, but ultimately it was like every man for himself. <laughs> what I didn't expect is, you know, to have made at least a couple of friendships mm. and others who I would happily hang out with and do further trips with again yeah. in the future. Yeah, yeah 100%. Mm. Perfect. But yeah, I mean, a closing comments on, on the on the trip as a whole for you and you know, any, any like key reflections you've got? So, the whole thing is an adventure which is why the main reason word it encapsulates why I wanted to do it right um, it's been an amazing adventure especially coming to the country I'd never normally go to an amazing city that yeah. I had never been to anything like Tbilisi before yeah. um, great people great food you know you just don't expect it to be necessarily that way um, I think we got extremely lucky with the group that we were with um, basically a very similar age like minded guys all into the same thing by and large Um, and I think on a personal note like what it's done for me is to give me the confidence that I can do something like that Mm -hmm. made me realise I think I'm fitter than I think I am and can do that sort of thing Um, and given me more of a route to do more of it which you know I think we were all immediately googling the next mountain weren't we as soon as we got down to Alty Hut so um, that's it basically it's going to let me go and do something else in a couple of months time I think But it's been wicked. It's been a great trip. Perfect. And then lastly, we, you know, we, we talk about, um, you know, this is your first time at, at like a fairly high altitude and, you know, the expectations going in, obviously your situation with Peggy going, come on, let's go do it. Um, how did the trip now weigh up to what your expectations were? Oh man, like I really didn't have any specific expectations. I've done a lot of hiking, um, never at that altitude though. And in all honesty, I didn't even know what a crampon was. So when I got there and someone's like, here's a crampon, I was like, oh, it's, it's one of those kind of, it's this, it's, it's this kind of trip. It's like, is this what a crampon is? Bloody hell. So at that point I got slapped in the face, like, 
mate, you're on, you're on a mountaineering expedition here. This is not a joke. Uh, but I'll tell you something though. I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for, for, for three things. Firstly, of course, you know, that I made it up to the summit and then back healthy and sound and safe and that everyone else made it up to the summit healthy and sound and safe. The second thing is the really immense group of people that we had together. You know, everyone absolutely loved being outdoors. Everyone was an outdoor person. Everyone was, was, was a mountain person. Everyone was there to, for an adventure. So to meet people who were so passionate about nature was really invigorating for me because you know sometimes in your group of friends you don't have other people that are like that you think you're the only one who's like freaking christopher columbus you know we want to go on adventures but actually there are other people out there so who, who feel the same way so it was really invigorating for me to um, to, to see that to, to witness that and then finally this trip really cemented in my mind you know how much i actually love being in nature in breathtaking scenery and pushing my body and it really activated in me this this metaphor of climbing to the top you know there's a tremendous satisfaction that you feel you know when you look up at that peak or you look at a finish line or you set yourself a goal that's really really far away and really really challenging and you take one step and then one step you put one foot in front of the other all the way until you're at the top of the peak or you're near that finish line or you achieve that goal that you set yourself and there's really a beautiful satisfaction in that and uh, i felt that fully uh, during that trip well, listen, uh, I, I think uh, I think that, that about does it. So thank you. Thank you very much. Amazing, Chris. Thank you so much, mate. Great chatting to you.